Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Good evening. Before we begin, a disclaimer and a warning for tonight's episode. Tonight's broadcast may be unsuitable for children, adults, and living creatures. Listener's discretion is advised. I've been keeping my ear to the streets. The UK run out of ideas. Everybody's doing covers of American beats. Live from the In The Room studios located in the Net Carrier and Cloud. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network. Hello once again, everyone. It's Mike Tanay from TNA Wrestling, and welcome to In The Room. Here's Brady, Kathy, The Stroh, Jordan, and Derek. Welcome, everyone, to In the Room. I'm one of the hosts, Papa Stroh. Brady Hicks uh, won't be with us tonight. Hopefully, he maybe get a chance to call in later on during tonight's podcast. But uh, we have a big one tonight, folks. Uh, Later on at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, we'll be having an interview, playing an interview with the one and only Hall of Famer, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Uh, very, very, very excited uh, for you guys to listen to the Ricky Dragon Steamboat interview for sure. And uh, the ladies that was mainly responsible for all this, we can't thank her enough, our own lovely Kathy Fitzpatrick. Kathy. Hey, hey Stro. How you doing? How's it good, going? Good, good, uh, good. Big, Everything's big. going in. That's great. That's great. Yeah, big time tonight. Yeah, thank you again. Um, this this interview is going to be so awesome. I can't wait to check it out. It was, you know, you know how I feel about the show, and you know how I feel about you guys. And as I always said, I'm blessed enough to know some people, and Ricky's a very dear and old friend. That that's, that's awesome. I'm I'm so psyched. I can't wait to check it. Thank you again. It's 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 truly amazing, uh, for sure. Uh, okay, I think uh, joining us also, we get the party started here, as uh, our own uh, Matt Grimm. Uh, Matt, welcome back, man. How, how you been? Uh, I'm good, guys. How's everybody doing tonight? Hey, Matt. 
<laughs> I, I tell you, lots, lots to talk about tonight. I know, aside from the, this big interview coming up 9.30 with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, um, we're all really psyched, psyched about. Uh, man, what a, what a raw last night was. Uh, did you guys were able to check it out, if if so, able to stomach it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it was, it was a little rough. Mm. Uh, what was it like the Baron Corbin three hour documentary? <laughs> I remember thinking to myself three years ago that Baron Corbin had a hard time getting through his own 10 to 15 minute segments on a one hour show. And mm. I, I think he's fine as a heel in the role that he's in, but I just think maybe that role is playing too big of a part on the show right now. Yeah. Right. It, it's, it's crazy. Like wow. it's, it, it's like it's 1999 and he's playing the Mr. McMahon role. Right. But he's not Mr. McMahon. So exactly. It's, it, it's just, it's taken up way too much space and the baby faces on SmackDown are in really in a minority right now. Hmm. Uh, it, it, it's it, it's crazy. I it, it's like I've never seen Raw in this uh, much of a state. <laughs> that right, uh, Steve. Oh, welcome yeah. back to the in the room. How how you feeling, man? Good, Straw. How are you? Oh, yeah, uh, just peachy. Uh, just uh, psyched about tonight's uh, interview with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, and we're talking Raw currently. I what, I, I know you. <laughs> Did you watch Raw like the rest of us, scratching your head, going, um, "Is this Bizarro Land or what?" <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm glad they they got rid of the overrun, but I really want those three hours of my life back. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, it, yeah. You know, I, I think I, I'm now calling Baron Corbin boring, Corbin. I he puts you to sleep, and he was he was what on at least more than a third of that show. And it was, it's just brutal. It's, mm. I, I can't get, get over it. And not to mention the uh, uh, constant, the urinal obsession that, that WWE seems to have right now. Um, <laughs> there, there isn't that. I, I think if that's, hopefully that's rock bottom for raw. And they admit that they have a problem, and the healing can begin because that show was atrociously bad. You know, Nike wants to hire him. He works great. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> just awful. Oh man. Ah, jeez, and you know, and you expect. Okay, so I'm watching this, right, guys? And and Baron gives Alexa Bliss control of managing the ladies division right and you expected something you know kind of cool on her end right but that whole segment with uh from naya the ronda to the riot squad and natalia i mean what in the world so I was just a, what a mess i mean I, I don't know how else to to describe corbin's character now i kind of miss the lone wolf character even though it was <laughs> yeah. a little bit one-dimensional but I, I will say this, Matt, Matt Fowler, who is a, one of the TV critics, I think he writes on IGN, 
Um, this, when he first said this, it really stuck out to me. But in one of his articles, he described Constable Corbin as um, an Applebee's bartender in terms of the way he's dressed. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> that sounds so spot on. Like, with just the vest that's and an the insult unbuttoned Applebee's button, an bartender. Applebee's bartender. Oh, God. <laughs> <clears throat> I hope it's a better story than Ricky Bobby's story. It's yeah. Nice. They yeah. went to Applebee's. <laughs> uh. Shake and bake. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh. And, and, Okay, so Seth Rollins had this open challenge. He brings back the open challenge again, right? And we're thinking maybe some somebody will get a, a great opportunity to have a great match with Seth, you know, for the Intercontinental Championship. But here comes Dolph Ziggler. <laughs> so uh, once again, yeah. Zig- How many times have we seen Ziggler and Rollins? I've lost count. Yeah. I, yeah, that was that was all summer, and it's just been beaten to death and. I mean, when you look at the depth chart of of the faces on Raw, you've got, all right, well, who's number one? It's Strowman right now, and Strowman's out. Um, number two is Seth. Uh, mm-hmm. Seth is around, but he's kind of mired in his own feud with Dean right now. And number right. three and number four are kind of interchangeable, and it's, you know, you maybe you say it's Elias is number three and Finn Balor's number four or the other way around. But either way neither one of them has been built up to be credible. They both have lost a ton recently. So what do they exist for right now to just get steamrolled by Lashley, Corbin and McIntyre. So <laughs> just the the lack of balance between, I mean, they tur- they've turned everybody. Lashley turned heel. Ambrose turned heel. Uh, like they're, who's left to fight these guys. And that's not mm-hmm. usually the way that, WWE books their programs. It, ultimately, in WWE, the good guy usually gets the last laugh. And mm-hmm. right now, I just I don't see what this is even being set up for. Strowman's not around. Um, Seth is off doing his own thing. So they're feuding with number three and number four, who were both made to look bad. And both matches that Corbin puts together to, against them last night have the same outcome. Uh, Corbin books it as <laughs> yeah. uh, changing the rules at the last second, and then the bad guys pick up a cheap win, and that's fine. Well, I think, but maybe uh, oh, maybe fine. you do more to keep them apart until the pay per view. I, I don't know. I, I think mm. the, the the conversely, I I think you know you're waiting for the the good guys to give the bad guys their come up and, but <laughs> what they've done to their good guys. You know, would it really matter at this point? I mean, they're absolutely weakening them to the point where even if they overcome, it's just not going to have, you know, whenever they they do the heel authority figure thing, we always go back to, you know, Austin McMahon. They don't have a Steve Austin who's going to get beaten up, yet still kind of looks strong. And then when he triumphs, it's it's a big moment. I, I think they've just dug themselves into this hole where the heels are so strong and there's no receipt or very little receipt or even if that receipt matters anymore. Yeah, it, I mean, it just started between... off so strong, you know, I mean, with Elias at the beginning and you had the promo with yeah. Strowman and it just everything just like went down south from there. 
<laughs> no. Those three yeah. hours. No. I mean, if Raw should take a lesson from, from they should take they can get take a lesson from their own company on how to run a GM angle. Where on NXT, Regal's there, but Regal is mainly a background figure, and he pops up once every couple weeks to make a match, usually between two heated rivals, or you do it like Paige, where she just adds to the show but doesn't intrude on it. So. I don't understand why Raw has had this long obsession with heel managers or not heel managers, I'm sorry, heel GMs who need to insert themselves into the top angle in the company. It's well, I, I think it's, it's just tired. lazy. It's lazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they, everything about Raw last night was just lazy. It was, you know, and, and they keep going back to the same thing over and over again. And, you know the ratings are showing it, and uh, the, the, there's just the the idea that they call this a creative team is an insult an insult to the word you know creative, and they're just they have the the creative vision of Mr. Magoo right now. <laughs> I always yeah. get the impression of watching the show that the creative team is made up of immediate post college like film school graduates who don't really have much experience writing anything yet and based kind of on their age don't really even have an understanding of how people talk in a conversational Mm -hmm. way because everything sounds just so scripted nobody talks in a conversational way nobody talks in a way that that would, would reflect what a person would accurately say if they were really angry at somebody or ready to throw oh, down yeah. and fight somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything just comes across as fake. From from already what I'm seeing on SmackDown Live, I mean, it's already looking like a much better show tonight <laughs> than what we saw. Yeah. Experience. Yeah. Night and day difference. Hmm. Kathy, Kathy, what do you make of all this? <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, I mean, you you watch it and you're like, okay. And like everyone said, it was the Baron Corbin hour. Three hours. Mm. It was brutal. The whole entire show was brutal. When they bring Ronda Rousey up, I mean, Nia Jax is, you know, a great person, but it was flat. To me, I thought they were the improv. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, I, and on top of that, yeah. I think she gave everybody in the ring pink eye for crying out loud. What was going on? Oh, yeah, on what was with that makeup deal? What was that makeup deal? She had blood in her eyes. Yeah, I said, it was oh, like man. It looked like pink eye. <laughs> Like well, great. Let's infect the whole locker room. Good idea. It's like great. So <laughs> Nia farted on Rhonda's pillow before she came out there. Wonderful. Oh no. Oh. <laughs> oh. oh man. Oh man. Oh god. Yeah. I, I thought it was like a rush job by the makeup crew. It looked like they're like baking a cake or real fast or something. Oh. I don't know. I don't know. It was awful. Yeah, that's crazy. But yeah, I mean, we didn't even get. I mean, I was hoping, you know, at least um, 
you had Ember Moon, right? And you had Alicia Fox. I'm hoping at least a, a decent ladies match, you know what I mean? But even that turned into, like, the Benny Hill show. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, this is what happens when your only storyline is that you're participating in the Mixed Match Challenge, which is all Ember or Alicia has going for them right now. There's no storylines. There's no feuds. There's no personalities. Ember Moon. Ember Moon's entire gimmick is she rips her hood off and then does a scream that sounds like she's just acting to scream. But, like, they call her the war goddess. I've never, like, what makes her the war goddess? Exactly. What about her is a war goddess? Alicia Fox well, yeah. is wearing a crazy captain's hat, which has been her gimmick since Survivor Series of last year. What is that? Otherwise, she's just what? An unhinged person? There's nothing there. And there's nothing there to invest in with, I would say, probably about 85% of WWE's wrestlers right now. And most of those are on the main roster. It's a, it's, I think it's a huge problem going forward because ratings might be okay right now, and they just got a $5 billion deal from Fox. But if they can't create characters that people really care about, and I'll even extend this to Seth Rollins. Who is Seth Rollins? Who is he? What's his character? <laughs> he's been the same yeah. pretty much flat person, and he's a great wrestler, and he seems like a likable guy. But I mm-hmm. want to know more about who this person is, and I want to see that come across on the screen. I know who the Usos are. I know who even Sheamus and Cesaro are, and I know who AJ Styles is. But who are some of these other people? They don't have characters. Yeah, he, There's nothing to them. You know, him is yeah, you know. currently with Ambrose is so good, man. I I hope they don't screw it up, but they've got something good going with those guys and. And it's just like the past few weeks have been okay, but it's just, it just wasn't as hot as it was when it first started out with Ambrose just not saying anything and, and kept Rollins guessing the whole time as why he did what he did. You know, he, he's insult, he's making smell jokes to the crowd and, and, and all that sort of thing. And it's just, I don't know. I, I, I kind of liked it, the way he came off in the beginning when he big, made the big turn where he just – he did snarl and wouldn't say anything and left everybody guessing on why he did what he did. And, and I hope right. some how get a real reason, a real explanation as to why he did what he did. Well, it, you know, and that's, that's the whole problem is, is that's the whole mystery. He won't say why he did it. And on top of that, you know, it's hard to, it's hard for fans to have any sympathy for Seth Rollins because he did the same thing. And if Ambrose exactly. would say, well, you turned on me, so now I'm turning on you or something to that effect, but he doesn't. And they keep, and, and again, with the laziness, they keep going back to Roman Reigns and they really need to back off of that at this point. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it, at, at any point they need it, Again, it's just lazy. It's cheap. And it's not going to sustain itself. I'm hoping somehow, I'm hoping somehow that it all ties in with the whole Renee deal because she's kind of keeping quiet if you notice about the whole situation. So maybe there's something there, hopefully. I, I don't know. She's not coming off good on, on that one either because right. it's like she, she, she's a vape. You know, they, she, they introduced her as, you know, the first female commentator. It was all this excitement and stuff. And mm-hmm. now they put her in that position and, and it's, it's, it's just not good optics. Just let her do... Don't deal with the personal issues 
Everybody knows. Mm-hmm. Just let her do the commentary and leave leave her out of it. Right. Because, you know, they keep going back to her each and every week, like, what's up with Dean? What's up with Dean? I'm like, come on, guys. Oh. Well, yeah. this week I do feel like she kind of had a little bit – I don't want to say she blew up at them, but she definitely seemed like she had less patience for the question this week than she has in the past couple. So yeah. I wonder if they're trying to somehow build her – and I think it would be a mistake if they did, but I'm wondering if they're trying to somehow build her into this story in some way. Oh, I, I hope not. Not this early in her uh, broadcasting right. career. I'd prefer yeah. commentators to just stay the commentators and not get involved. Yeah. Um, yeah, I still have exactly. nightmares of Michael Cole in a singlet and his weird tattoos on his legs. <laughs> yes. No. Oh, God. Oh. Like, weird placement of tattoos on his legs, too. Like, not places that you would normally <laughs> think to get them. Yeah. I think... I think... I, were they I think drinking over a rib or something while he was sleeping. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You'll be great, Michael. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you look good in singlets. <laughs> I can, I can, oh, I can see, see him telling, building him up now, you know. <laughs> Woohoo. Goodness gracious. But yeah, yeah, I... I kind of hope it's more of a jealousy thing with Ambrose and Rollins, you know what I mean? Where he, it's like, you know, he building on what he, his first promo was when he was out, out in the street with the car and the trash can when he burnt the vest, you know, it was like an old jealousy thing. Like, you know, you left me out and while well, you had your glory and all that. I'm hoping that's more or less more with what they go with. Cause I, I don't know, just, uh, like you said, in, in making it more personal like that, and and th- that the Roman Reigns situation. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I was extremely uncomfortable when he came out, and even if Roman was okay with it, I'm still I'm still not okay with it when his his reasoning was God gave Roman leukemia again because he was a bad person in the Shield. Yeah. I, I was wow. Like, that's right. What? Yeah. That's yeah. just gross. That's pretty much what he said. Yeah. That's exactly what he said. Mm. That that's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, looks like uh, from watching SmackDown Live tonight, they're uh, we we're possibly going to have a um, three way for the women's championship, depending on who wins the battle royal tonight. Currently, uh, already, you know, of course, the champ Becky Lynch, the man, right, and Charlotte Flair already in the mix, and they're. Having a battle world of decide who the third participant is going to be, so it should be interesting. I liked Becky's line about how she would slap the heads off any one of those dopes, referring to the women who were on the ramp. There's something about her that now, now comes across show, as natural. Yeah, big, big shows uh, broken up with with the bar already. That didn't take long. Now, how many? How many wow, face turns that is way. that? How many turns is that to this guy? Goodness gracious. Yeah, yeah, they've already got rid of that idea. Yeah, he's competing with Nia Jackson, Dana Brooke to see how many people can flip in one year. How many how many flips you can do in one year. <laughs> well Dana did nothing. Oh my good. She just was a heel. You're a heel now, Dana. Yeah, it's situational week to week. Do they need a do yeah, they need a face okay. to lose or a heel to lose? Well, you you grab Dana for that. 
Didn't they, didn't they just have Bray Wyatt in the Starcade event take on Baron Corbin? This, uh, I believe they were. Gosh. I was hoping maybe Bray Wyatt or something alive. And that when the lights went out the other night, I was like, oh, crap, this must be Bray Wyatt, right? Yeah. And then Elias, which was actually, he was the best part of the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and then, you know. Oh, goodness. Crazy. And and TLC coming up, too. Gosh. Mm. I mean, would just trying to, like, look ahead for possible solutions to this, but, like, going going ahead, like, do you plug Aleister Black in somewhere on Raw or NXT? If you need a challenger for Brian at WrestleMania, do you bring in Aleister Black? Or and, and ruin balance the scales on Raw a little bit? Do you bring in Aleister Black? And where's uh, Lars Sullivan going to fit in the mix? <laughs> where's that guy going to go? There's part of me that thinks he could actually come in on Raw as a good guy, just to balance out the scales a little bit. I'm not saying it's well, likely. They, I'm just saying I don't think it's I don't think it's crazy to think that. Boy, well, that would be. Braun Strowman's the giant of Raw, though. I would I would hope they put him on SmackDown at least, but I don't know the but, the way they treat these NXT guys or and women where they end up is just awful. It's it's it's, it's Alexa, Elias, and I think it's really Alexa and Elias are the only ones who kind of escaped that um, and actually ended yeah. up better off on the main roster than they were in NXT. Oh, sure. But well, so many you know, I was people. Yeah. I, I was halfway through Raw and I went, well, at least there's no no way Jose. And then all of a sudden that happened. And well, there's, there's another guy. Yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of scratches really on the bad. roster right now. Oh. Yeah. They learned nothing I, from Adam Rose. I mean, how, how many times are you going to see the revival in the Lucha House Party? I mean, at this point, they might as well join. They might as well hit the Congo line too. Yeah, exactly. That's and the, the revival's been defined as basically like a joke at this point. Like they they're not serious oh. challengers for anything. So no. And and didn't they just go toe to toe with uh, McIntyre and Ziggler? One of the best matches in yeah. Raw. In months? Yep. <laughs> I mean, what? Wow. You know, I, I, I'm beginning. I, I have a, a, a theory because I've been around a lot of independent promotions up here. Is that it seems it, Raw is almost being booked like an independent promotion. Like there's a someone in the back trying to sabotage somebody. I don't want this guy to get more over than me and that kind of thing. It's it's very weird. It reminds me of that type of mentality of just seemingly outright sabotage of somebody because they're getting over now and we can't have that. So let's do something about it. Just this cutthroat, small time. I shouldn't say small time. That's not fair. But kind of that that type of mentality. We've seen this before. Hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I've seen it. You know, you, you hang around the independent promotions, and, and that happens all the time. And oh yeah, you know, and usually the promoter is a heel uh, in real life for the most part, 
And he's, you know, you just you just main event things. master universe. <laughs> yeah, <It's> everything. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't oh, know. Man. I'm at a loss right now. It's... But you know, they got they got more than enough great talent to turn things around if they'll just put their creative juices to work. You know. Yeah. yeah. Like Vince knows the fans like Finn Balor. Why can't he just put his own, I don't know what it is, if it's his own ego or his own preconceived notion of where everybody on the card has to be. Like if he just let the chips kind of fall into place and he, mm-hmm. the audience would do half of his work for him. Right. Well, He's a former And he would end up with a better product for it too. Mm-hmm. But he's got five billion in the bank now. Where, where's where's the incentive? And he doesn't have competition. You know, this I is, guess the 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 incentive is long term damage that he does to his own company. If you know, if ratings continue to drop because there's no characters and there's no interesting storylines and the company doesn't get behind the people that the fans want to see succeed. Long term, and it's not over the course of a year or even two, but long term, you can do a lot of damage to yourself with that. Yeah, but won't he always have that base of of casual fans who are going to watch no matter what? You know, there's always going to be an audience for this, no matter what the size is. And Mm -hmm. I I just, it's like, the question I would ask him is, do you care? Do you really care about this product? And maybe watch an episode or two of NXT, because I know you don't, but maybe that would help you when you're booking these guys when they when you uh, call them up. I'm not even sure he's watching right. SmackDown right now, really, because SmackDown is so much better than Raw is. I almost feel like Vince McMahon can't really have a full hand in it. <laughs> no. You're probably well, right. Raw's his baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we're getting to about that time where uh, in a few moments we'll be playing the interview with the Hall of Famer, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Uh, what we'll do, guys, we'll, we'll take a quick commercial, come back, play the interview, and it'll be a commercial after that. And then when we get back from the second commercial, we'll be, uh, we'll be back and taking the callers in. So callers, just sit tight. We'll get to you guys right after the interview and so forth. But uh, stick around, guys, and uh, – so stay with us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Live from the In The Room Studios located in the Net Carrier and Cloud, this 
is the VOC Nation Radio Network. Hey everyone, it is your favorite knockout, Mickey James, and you're listening to the VOC Nation. Voice of Choice Wrestling Nation. Worldwide. 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 Worldwide, baby. Worldwide, man. Worldwide. 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 Interested in advertising with the VOC Nation Radio Network? Whether on the website or across our syndicated network of podcasts, contact VOCNation.com for advertising information for the possibility to save 40% on what you will spend on an ad. The mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. Net Carrier has many great products and services to increase your bottom line. Be sure to ask your Net Carrier representative about our hosted PBX. Call Net Carrier today for a free analysis of your phone bills. 877-255-7733. That's right. 877-255-7733. Call now. It happens everyone. You watch Raw and then you react to it. 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time, every single Monday, the Raw Reaction, Worldwide, on the VOC Nation. The most polarizing personalities worldwide, this is the VOC Nation Radio Network. Diner, Nevada's now pub invites you to play the best tavern, kino, and video poker in Vegas. We just gave away over $444,000 in daily free play, with even more to come. It's not only great gaming that Steiner's Pub has, it's the best bar food and beer list to match our hospitality. Are you ready for some football? Drink Miller and ice-cold craft beer starting at just $2.50. Don't miss your chance to win 12 55-inch TVs or $100,000 in cash by drinking Svetka Vodka. Steiner's, the Nevada-style pub at 8410 West Cheyenne, 1750 North Buffalo, and Las Vegas Boulevard in Windmill. Steiner's, I love this place! Are you a fan of classic pro wrestling? Universal Wrestling Archives has a library of over 1,200 hours of pro wrestling action. The largest classic pro wrestling library after the WWE. Two stars like Ric Flair, the Junkyard Dog, the Midnight Express, the Rock and Roll Express, Dr. Death Steve Williams, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, the Fabulous Freebirds, and more. UWA provides DVD collections of episodes for Mid-South Wrestling, Power Pro Wrestling, and the Universal Wrestling Federation. There's also a special house show collection featuring rare wrestling footage only seen here. Visit www.universalwrestling.com or find them on Facebook and Twitter. This is Becky Nova, your Candyland princess, and I want everyone to know that I love BLCNation.com. Hey, how's it going? This is Amy Duma, but you may know me as Lita. You're listening to the VOC Nation. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us on the line right now is a true legend of professional wrestling, the NWA, uh, WWE, WCW, a little bit of AWA in there, uh, Ricky Steamboat. Hall of Famer as well. Joining us on the line right now, we are so happy to have him with us. How you doing tonight, Ricky? I'm doing well. I've been uh, working out in the yard all day today. Um, weather being about 75 degrees down here in Florida, putting up a Christmas tree, uh, not Christmas tree, but 
<laughs> lights on the outside of the house. I, I started early. <laughs> Sounds like it's quite a workout. I'm sure not quite as rigorous as the uh, the, the gym time that you used to put in during the peak of your career, but uh, it's great to hear, hear that things are going well. Your, your health's been good as well? Yeah, not bad. About four months ago, I had a total hip replacement, and um, that turned out to be uh, very successful. Um, I don't feel anything as we speak. Had to go up and down the ladder dozens of times today, so uh, that that hip is working real good. Well, that's, that's that's incredible, and I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, you know, you, you kind of mentioned the hip, and obviously you were a bit of a high flyer during your heyday, and I'm sure that that took a toll on your body. Looking back, how was that experience? You know, was it all worth it in the end? Oh, at the end of the day, at the end of each match, it certainly was. I think um, Jimmy Snook and I started uh, doing that Stuff off the top rope, just dives or cross bodies or drop kicks, and then they went from the doing it into the ring, then doing it to the floor. But you know, as we have seen, um, this generation of young kids and, and even some of the middle-aged guys are taking all of that high flying to different levels. Oh, absolutely. Do you ever just kind of watch TV and think like? Man, like they're nuts. Because I often think that. But of course, my feet don't leave the ground, so I'm not much of a judge. Um, yes, yes. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, like the ladder matches, okay? And um, you know, the stuff they're doing now with steel cages, and then they stack a steel cage on top of a steel cage, and then you got guys dropping out of the ceiling, going through tables. You know, and, and I, I'm so glad that I said, man, I'm glad that stuff wasn't happening during my time because, God, I'd have second thoughts about even, you know, sitting down to talk to somebody about doing it, much <laughs> less doing it. You know, these guys are falling out of the sky going through, you know, but as we know, it does take a toll on, on their bodies. And um, I, I I honestly think that, you know, we're getting away from the basic structure of re- wrestling, and um, and it and it also speaks to careers coming up short. You know, because of because of injuries. You know. Oh sure, no, absolutely. It's um, it's an absolute. No, when I um, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. When I, uh, a lot of times when I watch uh, wrestling today, um. I try to get involved with what the two participants or what the tag team is is trying to say in their match to see if there's a, if there's a story. Um, so I, I sort of pull myself away as Ricky Steamboat and and you know become a fan of the sport as a fan would sit there and watch. And um, I, I do a lot of seminars, not a lot, but, you know, I, I do my, my share of them throughout the year. And one of the biggest things that I talk about is when the class is there in front of me and I'm standing in the ring and, you know, I, I keep popping up the question about t- being able to tell a story, being able to tell a story in your match, whether you have a five-minute match or a 30-minute match, you know, just being able to tell the story. And, and 
most times and not, they uh, those those guys that I'm talking to, and even some of the girls that that are there, they they come up short with. Um, they understand what I'm trying to say, but at the end of the seminar, and and it's the way I introduce it and explain it, and you just don't put moves and holds and stuff in your mask just for the sake of filling in time. It's it's um, the the expression I use a lot is being able to connect the dots. And what this does is, if you have a fan watching, they then be able to connect the dots in your match and the story that you're trying to tell. And um, you know, I'm happy to say at the end of the seminar that a lot of them get it. You know, now moving forward, if that's the way they you know they start putting their matches together, you know the next week weekend or the next time they work you know i don't know i don't know but i'm forever being being the one to try and you know we can do everything under the moon in your match you we have that luxury but being able to put stuff together so that it tells a story in your match that's that's when you become a pro you know that's when they say god that's the expression we used back in the day was god what a great worker and that that underneath would then follow up with because he was able to go out there and tell a, a story. And even guys that working in the business that are smart to the business, like myself, and I would watch a guy work, I would get involved in his match only because of the way he's orchestrating it. And uh, I see, you know, today that falls in, in a lot of cases. Ricky, hi, uh, Steve Anderson. Um, when you're talking about telling a story, I think one of the the best stories uh, that you ever told happened at WrestleMania three in your match with Randy Savage. Uh, right. Talk to me about about the story, about the planning that went into it. You know what you wanted to to come out of that match with. Okay, we uh, in December, we, I believe it was December of '86. We started that angle to which when he came off the top rope with the announcer's bell on my throat. And then um, it was a big question mark whether or not I'll, I'll talk in the third person here uh, whether or not Ricky was going to be able to make it make it make come back or even wrestle. So throughout the weeks leading up to WrestleMania three, went to a, a speech therapy, a speech coach, on and on and on. And I, you know, um, and I will say this: uh, I've, I've gone back and watched me do those those little segments and I cringe. I said, Oh my God, I'm looking at myself and I said, damn Ricky, you're terrible when it comes to doing that speech therapy stuff, but get me in the ring. That's a different story. But, um, you know, you know, big shows, pay-per-views and uh, most of the main event guys, they would have some uh, tune-up matches uh, prior to the big shows and, in some of those maybe smaller venues and live events and start putting stuff together to see if it worked or if it didn't work, crowd reaction and so forth. But, you know, uh, unfortunately, Randy and I didn't have that opportunity because uh, Vince wanted me to, my debut was, was going to be WrestleMania three. So we didn't have a chance to, to do or try anything, you know, or see if this was going to mm-hmm. work or if it didn't. So, I got with Randy and I said, look, we need to collaborate. We, we need to, the word, the other word is choreograph and put something together 
So at least when we get out there, I said, because we haven't even touched each other, you know, other, other than that angle on TV where you came off the top rope. Um, and he wanted, um, he wanted redemption for me. And the story that would be that I, I kept going after his throat. And I said, well, you know, that kind of makes sense. Not kind of, but it, it does make sense, you know. And the fans mm-hmm. would immediately, immediately grasp onto that because of what he did to me. But I'd like to tell a story. I'd like to make this a championship match. And the story that I'd like to tell that, you know, I went through all this therapy. I'm making my comeback. And the best way to, that I could hurt you in front of the fans was to take your championship. And that's the story that I'd like to tell. We had one moment in that match where I guess he was something, something, and I got him up in the air in a chokehold and then threw him down on his back. You know, it was probably about a three-second moment. And now I've, I've signed baseball cards with that picture of me holding him up in the air by the throat, and underneath it is his redemption. You know, so... <laughs> So even they took that three-second moment, and every, and everybody understood it, you know. But the story that I wanted to tell was uh, to make it a championship match. Then we wanted to go out there and, and, and have the match of the night. We knew that, and I'll give credit where credit's due, our two biggest icons in the business with Andre and, and Hulk, you know, being the main event, and we were right under them. Ticket sales were going off the hook, through the roof, and we were hearing these numbers coming in about how many seats were sold at the Silverdome, and the pay-per-view buy rate was strong, and and I said, let's go out there and steal the show. we got so many people that are going to be there live, and so many people that are going to tune in and watch it, and it's, you know, because of Hogan and Andre, and Randy and I did have our part, you know, in, in helping those numbers, but um, let's make it a championship match, and, and and moving forward, real quick, guys, when I do seminars, sure. I go to live events, and, and, and there's a championship match. And usually it's the two best guys that the small company has to offer, and they come up to me for some advice. And I said, uh, I tell them this. I said, look, you're going to, you got a championship match. You're, you're going to be swapping belt. You're going to take it off this guy, put it on this. Make your match championship match, you know, for the fans to see the picture that is painting this. What you want them going home saying, what a championship match that was, you know. Sure. And that's all I tell. Them. And that's all I tell them because you are the two best that this company has to offer. So I'm just going to make it a championship match, damn it. And going back to Savage and I. Um. We had 20 or 21 false finishes in a match that went roughly less than 17 minutes. So as you see the picture painting of that, I'm trying to cover him and beat him for the belt. He's trying to beat me and keep his belt, and we wanted to make it a championship match. And... um, Oh, my God, when we started putting that story together about all these false finishes, I'm telling you guys, 
try to remember 20 or 21 false finishes and remember them in a, in a row. And, and um, that's why we started writing everything down. <laughs> sure. I'm not kidding. You. We had those yellow legal tablets and, yeah. you know, step one, step two. You know, we got up to like step 100 and something. <laughs> and even though that Randy and I didn't wrestle each other, he was on the road working main event with another baby face and they would have me there. So just before his match would get started, they would have me walk out into the audience out to the ring and everybody would say, Oh my God, Ricky's here, you know, and I would point at Savage and put up three fingers like WrestleMania three, you and me, buddy. And that's all I did night after night after night, just to, you know, we didn't, we didn't touch each other. And so for two guys that never really got the feel of each other and go out there and and have that kind of a moment in in our wrestling history, and here it is 37 years later, and just like you guys just asked me, everybody's everywhere I go that they keep talking about it. Sure. Uh, You guys had a real natural chemistry, and I think it showed. Um, Did you have any idea? I know you mentioned the huge ticket sales and everything, but, Ricky, did you have any idea at the time uh, not just how big that show would be, would come to be um, talked about as probably the big, one of the biggest WrestleManias of all time, if not the biggest. But your match is still continually listed as the greatest match in WrestleMania history. Did you have any idea heading into that? None. None. Honestly, none. We, 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 when we finished the last step in writing it all down, we thought we had put together uh, – one heck of a match. Uh, we thought we had a great possibility of being able having the match of the night, not knowing what Hogan and Hulk were going to do, uh, what Andre and, and Hulkster were going to do. Sure. Um, but later, and and guys coming up to me and promoters and you know different people in aspects of our business and then the fans. Um, what I gathered is that what made that match so special was all those false finishes and going back and forth and making it a fight and making it a championship match. And, and, um, and I think we sort of raised the bar and changed the blueprint of, you know, how our guys putting together matches that, you know, with all these false finishes, especially in, you know, the, the main event stuff, you know, yeah, Typically, I, in a, I in a match, you know, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say. I think that definitely is uh, true. I, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Sorry about that. No, that's all right. You know, typically a match would have six or seven or eight false finishes. You know, and then that was sort of the blueprint back in the day. And then, you know, but I don't know how we just kept coming up with all these false finishes, and, and then we and then counted them out. Like I said, twenty or twenty-one, and, and then. And I will also say this, that during the, ma- during the match, you know, we might have done three or four or five false finishes. Randy would go, hey, the dragon, dragon, what's next? What's next? And I'd, bop, 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 oh, I got it, I got it. And then we'd go on. We were up to 9, 11 and 12, 13. And I'd look at Savage. i say, Savage, damn it, I forget. What's up? And he would tell me. So we're coaching each other back and forth. And, you know, when I watch the match back, I'm trying to see us do this, the talking ass, you know, and, 
We learned, you know, you learned. We learned early on in the business. You try to be like a ventriloquist because we certainly didn't want the fans to pick up that you're talking to each other out there. You know, everything was kayfabe and all that, and you know, but uh, you know, I couldn't see it, so I, I was happy about that. And I'll tell you something else, guys. Um, when they came out with my DVD, uh, like my career, uh, God, what year was that? Nineties. Seven? No, two thousand and seven or six or seven or something like that. Eight, somewhere in there. It wasn't until that time that I actually watched the match first time. Wow. So eighty-seven to almost twenty years went by. During the twenty years, I hear everybody just talking. I said, "Well, thank you, thank you very much." You know, and I said, "Well, God, everywhere I go, that's they just keep bringing that up, bringing it up." So I finally got to sit down. 20 years later, and watch the match. And like I said, I tried to see us talking. And then I tried to guess the spots that were coming up. And it wasn't until about the third time I watched it that I was able to sit there and, and, and click off every spot that was coming off, you know. But, but I tell that story uh, almost everywhere I go. You know, it's been 20 years, everybody, since I actually yeah. saw us perform and everybody so dropped their mouths you know like what I said but that's the truth <laughs> I was ahead, there Steve. I was there in Detroit that night Ricky I didn't know that Kathy my god well we didn't know my each god. other then Ricky <laughs> <laughs> well, as, many, as many times as we run into each other while I'm out you have not once ever mentioned that yep I was there. And and here it is 30 years later, and I find out about that. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Now, uh, where were were you sitting? I was on the floor. I think I was like six rows back. Oh, my God. You were right there up front. Was was that because of Sherry? No. No. Okay. No. Uh, that that's tremendous, Ricky. You know, I was listening to an interview the other day. I, I think it, it was uh, Ric Flair, and uh, he called you his best adversary of all time. The uh, the the perfect good guy for his bad guy. Uh, was that feeling uh, mutual? Was he your favorite adversary of all time? Oh, it had yeah, without a doubt. And you know, the two of us, we went back and forth. And, you know, different companies meeting back up and so forth and so on. And that spanned uh, about 17 years. 17 years out of a guy's career that these two guys kept hooking back up. And, um, yeah, we, I mean, we wrestled each other hundreds and hundreds of times, especially when we were back in the mid-Atlantic days, you know, in the Carolinas and Virginia we had so many 60-minute, one-hour matches. Jim Crockett says, the promoters, well, I don't want to beat Ricky, and I can't beat you, Flair. You know, you're the champ. So I guess you guys go out there and put on one of your stellar 60-minute matches. And then after we have done so wow. many of those, we had, we had a month of 90-minute uh, matches. Oh, we went out yeah, there and, I remember that. We went out there and worked for an hour and a half, you know, I tell that to some of the young boys today, young boys today, and they can't believe it, you know. 
They come in at a, uh, after an eight minute match. After an eight minute match, they're all gassed up. <laughs> <laughs> now, was there was there pressure in that? Was that something, uh, or, or did that just kind of come naturally? The ability to go sixty, ninety minutes like that. It it. Well, you work with a guy for so long and and, and so much. Um, I wasn't. I mean, I didn't get, you know, upset or butterflies. I, yeah. I, it was like, okay, but, you know, that's what the boss wants. That's what we'll go out and do. And, but it sure I, did I, tested your uh, cardio. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, another I think, person that I, I think, wanted to ask about. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ricky. I think there's a delay no, no, here. I'm, I'm sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, that's okay. Um, I think, no, 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 I know that in a 90-minute match, I think we ended up telling two stories. And um, the first part of the story was to try and beat the guy within the first 60 minutes, him beat me or I beat him. And mm. then the last 30 was like nip and tuck and back and forth and and keep the fans injured enough to try and, I mean, not try and figure out, but who's going to win this damn thing, you know? They've been out there for over an hour now, you know? So it was almost like two stories in, in the 90-minute match. I also wanted to ask you, and I know we're running short on time. I appreciate everything that you've given us tonight, Ricky, but uh, I, I did want to ask you about some of those early years in WCW. You were around some phenomenal young talent, guys like uh, Steve Austin, Brian Pillman, uh, Steve Regal. I mean, did you realize at the time the kind of talent that was in WCW, and did you realize the kind of huge names that they would become in the industry over time? Uh, I'm going to throw another one, and we mentioned him earlier, and Shane Douglas, when we were tag team partners. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There was there was a young man that was eager to learn, respectfully to learn, um, and a, a guy that uh, if he talked about, he would give you his opinion. And if I threw him mine, you could see his eyes light up, and that would tell me that you could see the light bulb clicking on in his brain. You know, uh, very sure. coachable. Very, very coachable at that time. Uh, he was like a sponge. You could tell him something, he would get it, and and then apply it. Uh, Austin, the same way. Um, I worked with him for the U.S. Championship and, um, and and also with tags with me and Shane and him and Pillman. And there's a there's a kid that I I said to the office. I said this this guy's got it, and you need to do more with him, you know, and it wasn't too long after that that, uh, uh, let me see, I had retired from the business, and then he moved to uh, WWE and became Stone Cold, and as we all know, the rest is history, you know. Pillman, too. Pillman was, you know, he wasn't the biggest guy, but that guy, he knew how to get the heat when we were tagging up. He could get some good heat. He was solid. Um, you know, he was an athlete. Played for the Bengals. Um, you mm-hmm. know. And um, Steve Regal. I'll never forget 
the first time that I remember working, it was on TV. It was like a tag. It might have been a six-man. He was standing on the apron. And I don't know if it was his English demeanor, but he could have been standing over there in the corner having a glass of champagne and smoking a cigar. <laughs> that, was, that was his demeanor. You know, that's, I'm looking at him. And afterwards, I said, Steve, come here. I said, you're standing over there so nonchalant. And I said, I don't know if that's the English way, but you need to be able to work the apron. And he looked at me like, what was I talking about? And I started giving him examples. I said, when, when my partner is in the ring and you guys are kicking the crap out of him, I'm selling it on the apron. And I'm getting frustrated. And I'm getting, you know, I mean, I am so focused on my partner because I'll tell you something. When the fans look up, and if you're just standing there, and they think, well, his partner's in the ring getting his ass handed to him. If he doesn't care, yeah. the guy on the apron, then why should I care? You know? And so from that point on, boy, he worked the apron so much he was blowing up. Little things like that, though. I mean, just the knowledge that you bring, and certainly, like you mentioned, the seminars and everything. Uh, is there a place, Ricky, where people can kind of follow along with what you've got going on as far as seminars or appearances, stuff like that. Uh, is there anywhere where people can kind of keep tabs on that? Well, I, I, I have a tweet out there. Okay. It's uh, uh, everything lowercase. I don't know if that makes any difference, but it's real, R-E-A-L, underline Steamboat. And, um, okay. you know, and I, I do make announcements and um, – you know, they can follow me, and I tell where I've been and all that kind of good stuff. And become a Tennessee volunteer fan. Yeah. Wow. My wife, my wife who's from Knoxville, and um, never watched college football all my life until I met her, and now I've become an Tennessee <laughs> volunteer fan. I, I cannot help but watch the game. If I'm – on the road Saturday, I have her tape the game so that when I get back, I can watch it. Awesome. Yeah. I and, love it. Uh, I love it, Ricky. I'll make sure to uh, include a link to that as well so people can kind of, uh, you know, follow your Twitter and kind of see not just where you've been but where you're going as well. Um, before we let you go, Ricky, I have a huge favor to ask. I hope it's okay. Um, I was wondering if we could get you to uh, record – a bumper for us to play on the beginning of the show, basically just saying, this is Ricky Steamboat, and you're listening to the name of the show is In the Room. Would that be okay? In the, in the room? Yes, sir. We're like we're all in the room together. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, you're only talking about maybe a five- or ten-second blip, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Yeah, just something to play in the beginning in the future. Okay. Whenever you're ready. Uh, whenever you're ready, sir. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Here we go. Hey, wrestling fans, this is the Dragon talking at you. Ricky Steamboat, Hall of Famer. And you're listening to The Room. Thank you so much, Ricky. It. Uh, get, thank you, Kathy. <laughs> thank you both. Thank you, Ricky. Uh, it means so much. It really does. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you so much for having me on.
Thank no, you, Ricky. It Appreciate was a pleasure, it. my friend. Thank you. Okay. All right. And I will see you probably the next time, Kathy, okay? You got it, Rick. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Talk to you later. Very appreciated. Bye-bye. Thank you, Ricky. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, and that was Ricky Steamboat. This was uh, pre-recorded, of course, because I'm not able to be here tonight. I'm off uh, I'm off watching the Philadelphia Flyers, Kathy, and they're probably losing. I'm just taking a guess. Uh, but but Stro <laughs> will play this for everybody. <laughs> Stro will play this for everybody. Uh, Steve will be there to lend a hand, and um, I guess we'll take a commercial break, and then we'll come back. Thank you so much. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So, download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Live from the In The Room studios located in the Net Carrier and Cloud, this is the VOC Nation Radio Network. Hey everyone, it is your favorite knockout, Mickey James, and you're listening to the VOC Nation. Voice of Choice Wrestling Nation. Worldwide. 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 Worldwide, baby. Worldwide, man. Worldwide. 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 VOCNation.com. Interested in advertising with the VOC Nation Radio Network? Whether on the website or across our syndicated network of podcasts, contact VOCNation.com for advertising information for the possibility to save 40% on what you will spend on an ad. The mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. Net Carrier has many great products and services to increase your bottom line. Be sure to ask your Net Carrier representative about our hosted PBX. Call Net Carrier today for a free analysis of your phone bills. 877-255-7733. That's right. 877-255-7733. Call now. Let's get it out. It happens everywhere. You watch wrong and then you react to 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time, every single Monday, the Raw Reaction, Worldwide, on the VOC Nation. The most polarizing personalities worldwide, this is the VOC Nation Radio Network. Diner, Nevada Style Pub invites you to play the best tavern, kino, and video poker in Vegas. We just gave away over $444,000 in daily free play, with even more to come. It's not only great gaming that Steiner's Pub has, it's the best bar food and beer list to match our hospitality. Are you ready for some football? Drink Miller and ice-cold craft beer starting at just $2.50. Don't miss your chance to win 12 55-inch TVs, 
or $100,000 in cash by drinking Svetka Vodka. Steiner's, the Nevada-style pub at 8410 West Cheyenne, 1750 North Buffalo, and Las Vegas Boulevard in Windmill. Steiner's, I love this place! Are you a fan of classic pro wrestling? Universal Wrestling Archives has a library of over 1,200 hours of pro wrestling action. The largest classic pro wrestling library after the WWE. Two stars like Ric Flair, the Junkyard Dog, the Midnight Express, the Rock and Roll Express, Dr. Death Steve Williams, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, the Fabulous Freebirds, and more. UWA provides DVD collections of episodes for Mid-South Wrestling, Power Pro Wrestling, and the Universal Wrestling Federation. There's also a special house show collection featuring rare wrestling footage only seen here. Visit www.universalwrestling.com or find them on Facebook and Twitter. This is Becky Nova, your Candyland princess, and I want everyone to know that I love BLCNation.com. Hey, how's it going? This is Amy Duma, but you may know me as Lita. You're listening to the VOC Nation. Wow. What an interview that was, guys. I, I can't thank you guys enough. I mean, that, that was amazing. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to ask you guys, what what are some of your, your favorite highlights of the interview that is played? One of your favorite parts? Well, if if you want me to jump in, um, go ahead. You know what I really what I really liked about it because I've I've interviewed a, a few wrestlers in, in, in my career. And some, sometimes an interview is like, you know, pulling teeth or they don't want to do it and they have to do it, that kind of thing. But this, the, the interview really reminded me of, of when I was working with Bobby on the books is that you ask one question and they, they go on for, you know, 15 minutes and they just, they tell this great story. They give this elaborate answer. And what was interesting is I, I had a follow-up to one of his answers, lengthy answers. But then he kind of did a, a, a turn and, and, and went in another direction with it. And so I messaged Brady, said, no, I got nothing now because he's off on, on some other area, which was related, but it was just so good. And he just had so much to say. And he should, he should really do these more. You know, I understand he doesn't do a lot of them, but, mm-hmm. you know, he... He's got a lot of stuff. He's got a lot of stories to tell. You know, maybe maybe a podcast or something. I don't know. <laughs> hey, never say never, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what what a wealth of knowledge. Oh my goodness. And 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 Kathy, uh, sharing the same history with him. I mean, what what a thrill that is. Well, it was funny because you know back then I only knew a few of the guys. I knew Joey Morella, who was the referee mm-hmm. for Hogan Andre. And I knew Brett and Shari and Flair, but I never met Ricky. And mm-hmm. when I did meet him, you know, of course, I'd seen him at matches and everything. But um, when I met him, actually, he was driving for Ring of Honor. He came in a few times. And, um, you know, we became very good friends. You know, he's such a great guy and very down to earth and, you know, 
but to, like he was saying, and you know, saying about the matches with um, Randy Savage, you know, you had to have a legal pad there to write everything down because he was so meticulous. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> I still don't know how he and Sherry work together. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering the same thing, honestly. How she put up with all that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh mercy! Well, it really was—it uh, really was kind of the template to the false finishes we still see today. You know, it really right. was the the first match where you're like, you, you think there's going to be a pin and there's not. It was that last second kick out that I don't think you ever—maybe you saw it, but it happened once. But to have it happen time and time again—that's what just—that kind of set that that changed the way matches. We're booked, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, you could, mm-hmm. you could, you know, even if even if it was the finisher still kicking out, you know, I mean, it was just tremendous. Then the way it ended was just, you know, small package, boom, it's over, and it was, yeah, just a great match. Yeah, uh, definitely one of the all-time best. Those two, yeah, amazing, no, no doubt, no amazing. doubt, and uh. Yeah, I, I still I still get chills just thinking about w- watching that match, and like one of the largest largest audiences in any event ever at that time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, amazing. Well, what, what's funny about you know I thought about it afterwards, and, and the thing about that match was, you know I was uh, oh I was I think I was a, a, a senior in college, uh, just wrapping up college when when WrestleMania three started up, and I kind of lost touch with kind of the wrestling business and stuff like that. Wasn't following it as close, but I think I didn't see that match until probably that summer on, 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 uh, on VHS. And uh, that really kind of reignited the flame for me when I saw that match, like, wow, this is, this is something different. And this is, you know, you could kind of, I don't, I don't know. It was really hard to describe, but it felt like this kind of pivotal moment where the, the matches would be done differently. And because and, you know, again, I grew up in the AWA, whether where it was not as exciting. AWA. <laughs> oh oh boy. What, what was those summer shows you used to have? The Super Clash. Um, where they had like. You remember those? Yeah, they had they had uh, they had the, the Wrestle Rock Rumble, yeah. I think it was the <laughs> yeah. Wrestle Rock. Yeah. Um, yeah. They had yeah they had the Super Clash with uh, Lawler versus Von Erich. Uh, right. Yeah, they, they, Vern, tr- you know, tried to do the big shows, and and he just would not stay within his territory, which was his stronghold. You know, I mean. Before the WWF got big, I mean the AWA was a a major major promotion, and right, yeah. Vern Vern just refused, you know, to keep up with the times. And I went to, you know, a, a few shows uh, here and there. I lived kind of far away from you know the Minneapolis St. Paul area, but those shows, like the Thanksgiving show and the Christmas show, they were enormous and. He would have a closed circuit in in an adjacent building. I mean, there was it was it was 
everything. And um, and yeah, to think that he just, you know, he, he just refused to keep up. He did that. I don't know if you remember the horrible team challenge series that he did where it was like this. <laughs> yeah. Three teams and there was this point system. Yeah, and And it's funny because – go ahead. And and, and the beers. Yeah, yeah, and and the the winner, it was a turkey on a pole match, and it was the Milkman Milliman that won. Yes, yes. And he wonders why he went out of business, you know. (laughs) <laughs> but actually what was keeping from what I've heard is what was keeping Vern afloat was that um, uh, he had a, just a bunch of land uh, around Lake Minnetonka which is a very prestigious area and okay. the city was doing this uh, they were going to um, uh, do eminent domain and take his land and he fought it and he oh, fought wow. it and he fought it and he fought it and uh, it was the city prevailing and taking his land that ultimately did in the promotion. He had no uh, collateral to put up to uh, keep things going. And that played a, on top of the outdated and just horrible decisions and just the way he treated people. Uh, I, would t- I talked to a few people who, you know, in the rock and wrestling era where they jumped from AWA to the WWF, and if you talk to them, a lot mm. of them will say, no, it really, it, yeah, the money was good, but we just needed to get away from Vern. <laughs> he, was, he was really, really tough to deal with. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that was... The, other, uh, <laughs> the Iron Sheik story still gets me where he says Vern tried to get him to mess up Hulk Hogan when he went to yeah, WWE. <laughs> yeah, yeah, give him a Hundred thousand dollars and a reign as AWA champion or something like that. I don't know. Oh jeez. Yeah, weren't Eric Bischoff doing commentary during the Team Challenge series? Yeah, yeah, he was. Wow. He was towards, I think towards the end. Yeah, it's funny because oh, man. Uh, I remember uh, I met uh, Larry Henning, Larry the Axe, years ago. Oh, Larry. And yeah. He said Larry. he said to me something I'll never forget because he. And Kurt had a feud with Vern and Greg, and Larry, and it it was a lot of that was a shoot because Larry and Vern mm. did not like each other. And he told me oh, once boy. he said, "If I could beat up Vern Gagne from sunup to sundown, he still wouldn't have all that's coming to him." Oh, <laughs> oh you know, that- yeah. <laughs> It, that, that's that's what happened to Crockett's though, man. I mean, they try to get big, you know, branch out more rather than stand their home yep. base. The exact yep. same thing happened they, to Crockett's. Yep. They just, yeah, they, they, and it's like, I, you know, I think Vince, this mad scientist, knew that they'd try to do that. And mm-hmm. he said, I'll go national. I'll just take everything. And then you guys, you know, Try to join me, but you know, try to you know compete with me, but but they just couldn't. And you know, it was it was really an interesting time back then when the WWF all of a sudden was national. It's like for me, it was just this abrupt moment where it's like, wow, 
this is the WWF. What are they doing here? You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. It was very interesting because they hit Minneapolis hard. They took away, I mean, right. every yeah. week on their show, someone else was gone and someone else was gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, yeah. It was I mean, really gosh, fun. I mean, they took Bobby, they took Oakland, Hogan. Yep. Um, yep. God, who else? A whole bunch of guys. Yeah, they took Sherry, they took Jim Brunzel. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it was it it was really something how they and they eventually kept, Medusa too. Yeah, Medusa. I mean, mm-hmm. there wasn't uh, even uh, Wayne Bloom and Mike Enos. I mean, they were just. Yes. I think Vince just. I, I think Vince really took joy. And just sticking it to Vern constantly, because he just took Unreal. everybody. Basically. I, I, and I the announcers—he would take him out. Yeah, yes. <laughs> it's like a clean like screen. really old, really old, unattractive announcers, and all of a sudden they're on WWF. It's like Vince is just sticking it to him. <laughs> He's just taking everybody. <laughs> Crazy. I got to tell you guys a funny story. Uh, CAC this past, uh, I think it was last year, I think. Oh, the year before last, probably. Um, uh, Ken Patera was uh, accepting the award, right? For the CAC, right? Yeah. And uh, it turns out uh, Brunzel and uh, Craig Craig Gagne were in the, you know, one of the tables next next to me, right? And uh, Ken Patera was giving the speech, and... uh, uh, one of I think Batera and Brunzel, um, no Brunzel and um, Greg said something smart to Ken, <laughs> something like okay. you know like we like we want to hear it right and, and and Ken just got over putting them over as, as one of the best teams of the AWA at that time right and and Ken yeah. Ken, Ken looked at him and said look look I just got over putting you guys over for the past ten minutes. And now you're gonna be there. <laughs> Screw you, a holes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I'm surprised you didn't call them sea suckers. <laughs> oh, I, I thought that was next. That's his favorite word. Oh God! The whole time Ken had me cracking up. The whole time he was so. He was oh, so Ken! Uh, the first time, the first time I ever met Ken Patera, it was at a it was at a restaurant in I think like Minneapolis or St. Paul. And Ken walked, right. he like walked up to me, and he was kind of menacing, and I'm like, oh god, you know, he he's like, don't throw me through a McDonald's window, okay, please. Um, and Ken, <laughs> Ken, Ken said, um, he said, I hear your name is Steve Anderson. So now I'm going in my mind, going, did I do a cartoon about Ken Patera? Did I write something bad about Ken Patera? And and Ken said, and he, he had had a few at this point, and he said, I knew a drug dealer in San Francisco named Steve Anderson. Oh, my God. I said, you wouldn't be him, would you? And I'm like, oh, no. Wow. No. And he got right up to my face, and he says, well, you could be. And then he walked away. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I remember yeah. um, they had, they brought Ken into a Legends of the Ring one night for the show convention, mm-hmm. and I had to pick him up, 
and then drive them <laughs> back to Philadelphia. So I'm oh, like, wow. you guys are killing me. So we're looking all over the place for Ken. We can't find him to leave for Philly. And I'm like, where is he? Where did he go? We walked outside. He was sitting outside on the bench for like 20 minutes. He goes, I've been watching you guys run back and forth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that sounds about right. I was like, could you have said something, please? Oh, man. (laughs) No. Now why would he do that? <laughs> I guess, you know, when he when he got in all his legal trouble, he he, he from what I heard, he didn't he, he could have avoided prison. He really could have avoided mm. it because what what he did, I mean, nobody got hurt. It was just mm-hmm. this, you know, spontaneous act that he 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 committed. But I guess he presented himself as such an objectionable person mm-hmm. that they just didn't mm-hmm. really have a choice. They're like, wow. they just they just sent him off to jail. Goodness gracious! I remember as we were coming yeah. back from the Newark airport, he sold a Budweiser plant there, and he went, "Did they give out free samples?" <laughs> <laughs> and we're in the car, and he's like. Oh is there a liquor store around here? And we're like, not in this neighborhood. We're going straight to the hotel. Is there a bar there? Yeah. Well, thank God for that. He got out of the car and went, got out of the car, started walking in. And he goes, we're like, you know, just go over here to check in. And he's like, I'm going to the bar. Okay. Just check in first. Checked in right to the bar. Yep. Oh. oh goodness! I I think we got our first uh, caller on the line. Uh, a few guesses, and the first two don't count. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, here he is, uh, the one and only Malcolm. Everybody, welcome, welcome, Malcolm. Hey, Kathy. Um, I earn new respect for you tonight. I did not know you're that good friends with Ricky Steamboat and. It was Ricky Steamboat that helped me meet Stone Cold Steve Austin. It was either 2011 or 2012 at the Cauliflower Alley Club. Um, and I'm never going to tell Ricky, I'm never going to forget that. I mean, the guy just came up to the banquet table and he says, Malcolm, have you met Stone Cold yet? It was the second year I met him in a row. And I said, no, Ricky. And there's like eight or nine people there at the banquet table. And Ricky goes, Malcolm, I'll take care of it for you. Um, so I think that's why Stone Cold got up there that night and he said, I don't want to talk about my career. I want to answer some questions from my fans. And then um, I saw Steve look over at me and I raised my hand and I did the Hogan voice for him. And before I did it, it was really funny because Steve goes, just a second, Vince, I'll get right back to you. And he goes over and asks another guy a question. And he comes back over to me. And he says, okay, go ahead, do your thing. And then I did my voice for Steve, and he put his head down. He's twisting his head, laughing so hard. (laughs) And then he, like, pointed at me, you know, smiled. And then there's this lady in the banquet um, room, and she's on the microphone. She says, no autographs. Anybody ask for an autograph will be thrown out of the banquet room. And I said, you know, I was hesitant about going up to Steve and asking him for a picture he was getting his Iron Man award that night. You know, I went up to Steve 
And I said, can we get a picture? And he goes, yeah, come over here. I mean, Steve, he was just so nice. And it's Ricky Steamboat that's responsible for this. But, Stro, I want, I want to do something in honor of Ricky real quick, if it's okay. Um, just real Pick quick, up. I want okay. to do this. Okay. This is for you, Rick. This is this is what you mean to me. This is like the greatest moment that you ever created for me. Oh, God. I was in Santa Rosa. Ricky, I was in Santa Rosa when that happened. And we were at the um, Santa, Be- Santa, Jose, uh, Santa Rosa uh, Convention Center or something like that. And we were watching on closed circuit because we didn't have pay-per-view back then. But, man, I went with a friend. We were working at Carl's Jr. that time. And, uh, and I just got out of the Army. It was like uh, about a year and a half after I'd been out of the Army. And it was, you know, Steamboat and me, you know, we, you know, I mean, Randy Savage, you know, the interview that he did uh, before the, the match starts with Mary Hart, and Mary Hart's trying to interview the lovely Elizabeth. And he goes, Unbelievable. That's the nation of the word. Yeah, like that. <laughs> I, was, I was laughing, Randy. Wow. You know, because, you know, and then Steamboat, you know, he comes down and they have those, um, they have those, like, um, those little, like, go-karts, you know, with the ring ropes around them, and they bring them, everybody down that night on those. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, and I saw Ricky just, you know, looking, you know, he wasn't smiling, he was looking confident, you know, and, you know, I just, I just love that moment. Ricky, there's so many moments I remember that you created for me as a fan. Um, the first one, I think, was when you were, you and the magnificent Morocco back in 85 had a feud and Morocco attacked you from behind. Uh, Mr. Fuji helped out. And then you ended up facing Mr. Fuji on Saturday night's main event. And then um, you had the feud with Jake the Snake Roberts, my buddy, my Oakland Raider, my Oakland Raider bro, Jake the Snake, mm-hmm. down Mount Georgia, you know, and um, that became a great feud. Part where Ricky had the, the Matra Dragon, and Jake had the uh, boa constrictor Damien, and uh, the big oh, yeah. man, here's, here's a charge! And they just, tell me some mechanics, you see him, um, uh, Kathy, that I just love when he used to call the matches on Saturday night's main event with uh, Jesse Ventura. And then um, I guess the Macho Man team, but then my brother took me to the Arco Arena. Um, it was... Um, May of 87, I was working at Carl's Jr.'s up there, and um, my brother drove me to the Arco Arena because I didn't have a car at the time. I wasn't making that much money. I was riding a bike actually to work at that. And um, I uh, went to the Arco Arena, and the main event was Hulk Hogan against the King Harley Grace for the WWF title. But um, there was a rematch between Steamboat and the Macho Man. Uh, it was great, even in a steel cage. Oh, and God, Stro, I love steel cage matches. I mean, I told mm-hmm. Hulk Hogan, you know, everybody talked about you. You know, Steamboat was talking about just now in the interview. 
you and Andre, but I told the Hulkster that you and Bundy, you and Bundy, I mean, like, the cage match is like the ultimate, you know, match to settle a feud, you know, and they cracked his ribs in Phoenix, Arizona, Morocco, and, and Bundy and Heenan were responsible for it, and, you know, even Mr. T, uh, Mr. T goes, uh, he goes, oh, you got to take on that, that fat slob Bundy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I still, I was Thanksgiving Day, I was watching WrestleMania 3, and I was watching every match, Roddy Piper against Adonis, um, the British Bulldog and Tito Santana against the Hart Foundation, and Danny Davis and Jimmy Hart was there, and Matilda, you know, you know, so Jake, this Nick Roberts against another buddy of mine, the Honky Tonk Man, I've met him seven or eight times. Kirk White's responsible for it, you know, uh, big-time wrestling. And I just love – I love the honky-tonk man, Wayne, Wayne Ferris. I think he's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. He was the first one to get me out in front of everybody in the banquet room in 2010 at the Cauliflower Alley Club in April and had me get out there and do my routine, you know. So anything that happens to me, I want the honky-tonk man to be a part of. I want the VOC Nation to be a part of. And things that are happening to me, Stro, I want to go through them real quick. I haven't been to an Oakland Raider game since uh, September 30th, and I actually helped the Raiders win their one of their only two games this year, their only home game against the Cleveland Browns. I, helped, I was the one yelling for them. And then I'll be there against the Kansas City Chiefs, and this is still Bill Piano's favorite rivalry, so I will be yelling for Bill Piano. And when I go to the Raider game, I'm going to wear, in honor of the Hulkster, the blonde wig I wore when I met Hogan at the NWO reunion, and all the NWO stuff because it's closer to Raider colors. And then, so um, that that weekend, this weekend, Friday night, I get to see. Oh, Kathy Kirk White, thank you so much. I love you to death, man. I owe you my life, the rest of my life. He is bringing Eli Drake and Johnny Impact. John Morrison, the main event. I wanted, guys, I wanted to see this match back in, from September to March 27th right. when, I, when I went to Big Ten Wrestling, and I met Eli Drake for the first time. Like, oh, I, I, I yeah. wanted to see Johnny Impact <laughs> and Eli Drake. And, and then Moose is going to take on the, the machine, Brian Cage. You know, and I've met, I've, met all, I've met all four of these guys, and I'm just, I told Kirk, I'm going to tear it up Friday night, and then they're going to be in Salinas <laughs> Saturday night, Big Ten Wrestling, and uh, Brian um, Cage is taking on Eli <clears throat> Drake, and the, and the Moose is taking on Johnny Impact. They're like in a reverse, <laughs> you know, and then uh, Tessa well, Blanchard I, I did, I, 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 Yes, she's great. <laughs> He's great. I, I have. Uh, I, I got an update for you guys, just so you know. I hate to interrupt you, Malcolm. Hang on one second. Hold that okay. thought. Hold that thought. But uh, okay. I just got the word from Bra- I just got the word from Brady, guys. That next week's guest will be none other than Joel Good Joel Goodhart. Excuse me. He's a former tri-state oh, wrestling good. promoter and ECW president. So Joel Goodhart will be the, our special guest next week in the room. That's pretty yes. cool, Kathy, huh? <laughs> Old friend and old yeah, friend. Absolutely. Uh, hey, hey, Steve, do you, do you know Joe also? Um, no. I, I you know, I, I, I'm trying to place the name. Did he do a lot of um? I, I know he did. You know, 
worked out in the East Coast, but did and in the ECW stuff. But didn't he also do shows with some pretty big names, kind of really loaded cards? Oh yeah, he did not massive ones. He did with Eddie Gilbert and Kevin yeah, Sullivan that, yeah. and Adrian Adonis and, and oh Funk, my God, Terry Funk, yeah. Right? oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, no, no, I, that, that'll that be great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, uh, and by the way, Mal- Malcolm, um, I wanted to ask you also, Brady asked me to ask you too, uh, about the, um, David Arquette, if, if the, yes, if David Arquette would be available. Okay, I'll talk to Dave, we're all set to do it December 11th, but I'll talk to him, no. and if he doesn't, you know, it's around <laughs> Christmas, so he might yes. want to be with his family, he's got his acting career, yeah, well, but. No, well, can't do it well he asked me to, I'll, I'll he asked me to ask you, Malcolm. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> he asked me to ask you, Brady, if 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 David would be available to do twelve eighteen, if you could ask him, yeah, he could do twelve eighteen instead of twelve. I'll ask him. Uh, okay. Mike, Mike gave me the word. Oh, uh, for, Kathy, if you talk to Elias, and I think you know him personally, tell him my brother does says says WWE, which I would never say. Um, I say something else, but my brother said WWE stands for Walk with Emmanuel. Uh, he wants Elias to know that because Mike's real close to God. Mike's gone to two events tonight for the church, uh, tonight and yes, last night. And, um, you know, Brady, I got a call from Anna. She's Italian and she wears cornrows like uh, Bo Derek did. And, and real nice lady. She works at Hulk Hogan's Beach Shop in the manager's name is Ron Howard, just like the actor. And I was teasing about it down there uh, that weekend in October. Um, and Ron, Ron's a great guy. Everybody that works at Hulk Hogan's Beach Shop is great. And they were supposed to give me five pictures, five photo ops, and the photographer only gave me three. And um, and then I was supposed to get my uh, Warriors Fest from the 79 movie, The Warriors, um, with uh, Michael Beck that played Swan, David Harrison, uh, Sheen Cohen uh, and all these other guys that were in the movie, Deborah Ben Bockenberg from uh, Too Close for Comfort, Jackie Rush, uh, and she was in that movie too. And then I had some wrestlers sign it. I had Kevin Nash and Scott all sign it, but a holding miss signing it. I guess there was so much, you know, they were trying to rush people through so fast, you know. Um, so the people mm-hmm. there at Hulk Hogan's Beach Shop, they are giving me a belt, an actual real belt that just like the Hulkster war when he faced King Kong Bundy, and it's going to be signed by Hogan, King Kong Bundy, or not King Kong Bundy, Hogan, Kevin Nash, God Hall. And uh, uh, cool. you, want to, uh, you, know, you want to talk about Christmas present? I didn't expect it yet. You know, I, you know, I want to tell everybody, Hulk Hogan's Beach Shop is going to be my vacation spot the rest of my life. I'm going down there once a year, and especially if Hulk Hogan has has like a, a meet and greet down there. That's when I'm going to go. Um, and I just want to tell you real quick, Brady, um, uh, I, you mentioned Ken Patera. I met Ken Patera like three times in my life. But I remember when Ken Patera was, he took that beating from the Hina family with the straps. It was Bundy, Harley Race, Hercules, and, uh, and uh, uh, I'm trying to remember who else. Uh, there was another guy. It wasn't Rick Rude, it was somebody else. Oh, Paul Orndorff, I think it was. Yeah, Orndorff. And um, after that, uh, her, um, uh, Ken Patera teamed up with Billy Jack, or as Bobby Heaney would call him, 
the Elite Derek Haynes when he faced Hercules at WrestleMania 3. Well, Ken uh, Patera is a real nice guy, Billy Jack Haynes. But I remember another guy, and they were, both of them from Oregon. There was another young wrestler. His name was Brady Boone. Anybody remember Brady Boone? Yes. Of course. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, you want to know? You guys want to know? Uh, Matt, Steve, uh, Stroh, Jaffe, and Brady, you know, your spirits here, and Derek. Well, I am old school. I like I like, I like the dragon when space. Uh, Steamboat. Well, oh God, when when he was in the War Games in '92, and it was him, Barry Windham, Dustin Rhodes, Sting, and the the Russian Nightmare, Nikita Koloff against uh, the Dangerous Alliance, uh, Stone Cold Steve or Stunning Steve Austin, uh, Ravishing Rick Rude, Larry the Crunchy Zabisco, uh, Beautiful Bobby Eaton from the Midnight Express, and the Enforcer Arn Anderson, and Medusa McKelly was uh, the valet for Rick Rude. Um, man, that war games, oh, that that was one of the best I ever saw. And R- Ricky, you know, Ricky was was on, he was on fire that day. And I, I just want to tell you guys that it was a real honor to listen to the Dragon tonight, a real Hall of Famer. I mean, they throw these guys in today. They only have no personalities, most of them. Ricky Steamboat not only was a great wrestler, but he had a great personality, too. I mean, he was more somber. You know, he was a family man. I remember when he when I first saw his wife on Saturday night's main event in May of uh, 1986, and he was facing uh, Jake the Snake, and Jake DDT'd him on the floor that night, and his wife Bonnie came out there. And I, I want to tell the Dragon, I think Bonnie is one of the most beautiful young ladies ever, Ricky. I just want you to know that. And um, I, I'm hoping that God, that you're going to be at the Cauliflower Alley Club this year because I want at least five pictures of my camera with you, and I'd like you to sign my Hulk Hogan jacket and my brand-new Hulk Hogan belt. All right. Yeah, there you have it, folks. Ma- Malcolm said a lot. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait, you guys see me Friday. I'm going to tear the place up. Oh, yeah. Lord have mercy. There you got it, folks. Um, oh, we're being joined. Um, uh, here we go. Uh, you're being joined by Missouri's finest, Tora. How you doing, Tora? Hey, I'm doing all right. That's great. Can you, did you, catch, catch, can you, did you catch the Ricky Steamboat interview? No, I didn't. Oh, you're going to have to listen to it when you get a chance. Um, it, it was really good. I bet. So what's going on, Tora? Cold. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> it's like 21 degrees. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey Cassie, how cold is it up your way? Uh, can I eat tomorrow? It's still in the 30s, but, um, high 30s. Well, I'm supposed to get a lot oh, of okay. wind tomorrow, though. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. I hear you. Hey, 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 we were Steve, supposed to have to go where you're I'm in Minnesota. It's, uh, it's 21, so that's pretty balmy, so I'll take it. <laughs> I heard that, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. 
Goodness gracious. So, so Tori, did you catch SmackDown tonight? No, I didn't. I didn't watch it. I don't have cable. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. But I get the previews from my WWE Network. It, it tells me who won and who who went all the way and stuff like that. All right. All right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, Malcolm. I I don't think yeah. I'll, I'll close it where you're at. I I I figure it wouldn't be. If you don't want to, if you couldn't call Fowley Club this year, and you don't want to pay for hotel. You're always welcome to stay with me. I got a big bed in here. I'll even I'll even cook this here. Okay. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, man. No, I stepped over your wet floor. Yeah, it's true. You got the background. All the beer you want. Oh, thanks. Ain't nobody ain't yelling. It's the people from the bar. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. It's it's, it's hard to hear everybody with all the background noise. They being quiet. Oh, okay. Well, they yeah, have thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm trying to can you hear anybody, you know. Oh goodness. Oh, what, what a night this has been. Uh, what, like I said, what an awesome Ricky Steamboat interview that was, guys. That, that was a, you guys definitely rocked that, it tonight. That, that, that one. Every ball yeah, it was, was packed all night long. Oh goodness. Was, I was tagged in it. I was tagging the whole about the interview. Uh huh. About it today, but I didn't forget. I I just basically didn't go through it. Okay. All right. Because oh, I was having problems with my phone because I I didn't know for sure if anybody could hear me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right in Guy sounds like Terry Funk in the background. Well, yeah. Yes, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. What do you say, Dave? What do you think, Steve? Does it sound like Uncle Terry or not? <laughs> oh, they were men bartenders, actually. They were in crisp white shirts and Tuxedo. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> it's good to see Becky being back. Yeah, it's good to see Becky sing. back. I'm so proud of her being back, though. Yeah. Great, and great can you, back. Yeah, can you please let uh, Brady know that um, my other Facebook page has been hacked? So I guess he got my request from yesterday. Me wearing a dress. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was wearing I will, a dress. I was sore. 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 I was Oh my guy! I, I swear, the guy in the background almost sounded like Uncle Terry Funk. 
and Ka- Kathy, wait a second. Kathy had to, wait a second, Malcolm. Kathy had to drop off, guys, but uh, thank you so much, Kathy. Gosh, uh, yeah, you yeah, rocked it tonight. But, uh, yeah, go ahead, Malcolm. Yeah, you remember in 86, I was, we had a flood here in Napa. It was raining so hard that the roads were flooded out. Me and my brother were staying with my dad up in Jacksonville. He had an apartment up there. And, um, mm-hmm. and we, were watching Super, we were watching championship wrestling on, on a Saturday night. And dad was watching with me and my brother. And the whole coaching yeah. was Piper Stick promoting the match for Mr. T to take on Cowboy Bob Orton on Saturday night's main event. And then mm-hmm. uh, Harry Funk and the Junkyard Dog were wrestling, and uh, Dory Funk Jr. came in and grabbed Jimmy Hart's branding iron, or Terry Funk's or whoever it was, and, and nailed the Junkyard Dog in the back of the head. And then they did an interview after the match when he won the match against the dog. And uh, the, and the, and Terry Funk was my brother who loves me, and he's so bad love to find him out the junkyard dog. Wow. Steve, that's pretty hard to top, I must say. What do you think? I love Terry. Terry's like a white man. He's like me. In fact, I was, speaking of Terry Fox, I was was, uh, uh, (laughs) kind of browsing WWE Network, and they had a... uh, there's the 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 match from um, I quit Beyond the Mat that uh, that was part of the documentary with with Dennis Stamp being the referee and everything. They yes. actually have that yes. match in its entirety on WWE Network right now, and I got I only oh, got I through I think about half of it before I I, I stopped watching. Yeah, but I I want to pick it up. But it's 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 really interesting to to actually see that match now, you know, with the, the, instead of just what, what was in the documentary. And it was, yeah. it was uh, Funk versus Hart and, and Paul Heyman or Paul, Paulie dangerously uh, uh, gave him, you know, a, a lifetime heavyweight championship belt and everything. And um, mm. yeah, that, that I, I would encourage anybody to, 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 to check that match out. It is, it is, it is something that uh, today's uh, wrestling it just it wouldn't translate well, but it's 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 a good it's a very good solid uh, match that that as Ricky Steamboat says tells a story definitely. Right. You know, Steve, definitely. Steve, you know the greatest match ever was between Terry Funk and Ric Flair the I Quit match in in like yep. December I think it was December of '89. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Or November of '89, I can't remember, but they had an I Quit match in New York. It was called New York Knockout, and that was the best mm-hmm. match I ever saw that Terry Funk was involved in. Although every match Terry Funk's been involved in is a classic, and I want Terry to know that. Yeah. I remember well, the, I, ring I, the, attendant, the ring attendant the about Terry's cowboy hat and put it on his head. Terry beat the hell out of him. Um, yeah, the thing about I I quit matches. I was thinking about this the other day. With you know, uh-huh. there there are just so many submission finishes now that really the I quit match doesn't mean anything. I mean, back then the 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 notion, and they especially promoted it in the Flair Funk match. 
that the idea of saying I quit was just not in anyone's vocabulary, and it meant you were less of a of a man if you if you said something like that, and it ruined your career. And now submissions are, you know, all too common. You really can't have those matches anymore. That that sense of finality, you know, to to end uh, to end an angle, to end a feud, that kind of thing. No, absolutely, totally. Yeah, but Steve, real quick, when's the last time? Uh, when's the last time they had an actual like back in the seventies when I used to read wrestling magazines and see Ray Stevens or or uh, or uh, Ox Baker or somebody like that, and they were busted so open they had brushed with like some ketchup on the top of their head. You know they don't have those anymore. No, it's it's yeah they they you know for a variety of reasons they don't do it, and that's why I wonder why they have cage matches because the the point of the cage match was two you know two reasons you know you had to you had two guys confined and the heel couldn't get out of the ring, and secondly it was you guaranteed blood you know yeah you, know, you rake the the raking it and they still they did that at um. Oh, I can't even remember what the match was, but I saw they were raking the face across in, in a WWE match, raking the face across the the the, the, the cage. But there was but there was absolutely no blood, and and that just to me that doesn't make any sense. There's really no point of doing those. Cages are far too escapable, and the the fencing is no longer something that'll cut you open. So I don't understand. It, it was in a documentary by Evan Ginsberg, and I think it was Bret Hart that was talking about, and superstar Billy Graham, about how the bloody the masses were back then, and they had tricks. They, they like, uh, I don't know if I should tell this straw, but they used to, it was involved, a razor blade was involved. I'll just say that much. I'm not, I don't want to go any further than that. I don't want to give it away. You know, so... <laughs> Ouch. Well, I know after uh, who, who was it who did the 2020? Was that Eddie Mansfield did the 2020 interview? Eddie Mansfield, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, and and after that came out that 2020 thing, uh, there was a match uh, at the Civic Center in St. Paul, and and Jerry Blackwell was wrestling. I I I can't remember who he was, who he was wrestling. And it was time oh, for him to blade. But instead of yeah. laying on the mat and doing it, he stood up, faced the crowd, brought out the razor blade, showed it to everybody, and gigged himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jerry Blackwell. Yeah. You know, for it's big, like, okay, for you guys man, know the secret. That guy was amazing. Right? Blackwell was for incredible. Big, and, and one of the best drop kicks for a big man ever seen. Oh, yeah. he it, it it was it was really amazing when he came in. He had a well, he was Crusher Blackwell, but up here mm-hmm. we had the Crusher, and right. um, and they had a, a, a short feud uh, over that, and uh, and so he had to go back to being uh, Jerry Blackwell. And um, that's when they observed kind of the thing, like when Bruiser Brody was up here, we had, you know, you know, Dick the Bruiser. 
and Dick the Bruiser. And um, so Brody was King Kong Brody up here. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, it's so yeah, it's uh, yeah. Blackwell was was really something. He, he was really he doesn't he have a doesn't he have a son who works or wrestles or yeah he I, I, I thought he did wrestling, yeah he came wrestling for a while right okay I, okay I yeah at, at a match he was wrestling Mother Truck and Otis one night it was a really good match too um I did I can't remember his first name but I know his last name is Blackwell just like the AWA um guy Blackwell. But I'll tell you what, Papa Stroh and everybody, I think the guy with the greatest drop kick ever was Rocky Johnson, the soul man. I first saw him when I was five years old in 68 with Pat Patterson as his partner. And Rocky mm-hmm. looked like Muhammad Ali when he did those dance steps and then he did those drop kicks. And, and when Rocky yeah. got, he got his head cracked open against the steel post, Rocky would rub his head and look at the blood and just go insane. I just love Rocky Johnson. He was just one of the coolest guys ever. I'm going to take, I'm gonna take issue Rocky with that. I, I'm going to take issue with the best drop kick. And, that, and to me, it's, it's, it's Jim Brunzel. It is. Yeah. It's, it's picture-perfect yeah. drop kick. And you know what? Mm-hmm. his age, he still looks the same, and he could still probably do it. I know. He, does. I he really does. I understand, Steve. I understand your point. Like, it's the greatest drop kick if you were going, you know, as um, doing the fundamentals to show a young wrestler. But watching Rocky, you know, it was, it was you know, it's kind of like entertaining watching him. You know, it's like watching Muhammad Ali as a wrestler. Because I remember on a WWF Coliseum video, they had a match between Gorilla Monsoon and somebody, Gorilla beat his opponent real quick. And then Muhammad Ali challenged him, yep. and Gorilla put him in an airplane spin, put him down. I, I was going to tell you guys a funny story about Rocky Johnson um, I heard a while back. was where he was in the amateur wrestling match, right? And he literally got disqualified because he literally drop-kicked the guy. He was amateur wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> Rocky. I heard that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I actually my son for a brief time was in wrestling, and one kid got disqualified for body slamming somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I found out later. I went to say I, um, you know, I took all kinds of wrestling, you know, amateur wrestling, uh, Greco, freestyle and all that. And I found out when I was in freestyle wrestling that you could actually give a guy a spine buster as long as you hang on to him. So, man. Oh. Oh, I was so excited. (laughs) <laughs> there you go. Oh my goodness! But uh, yeah, I found out I was actually doing freestyle wrestling. As, as long as you got the guy, uh, control the guy on the way down. You know what I mean? Yeah. And oh, like, okay, cool. here we here we go. <laughs> yeah, Papa awesome. Stro. I think uh, everybody should know the guy that invented. Spinebuster was the master of the Spinebuster, like Cowboy Bob Orton was the master of the Superplex. Uh, was the enforcer Arn Anderson, the Four Horsemen, and the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. You know, Bob Orton Jr. don't give enough credit how strong he was back then, man. 
I mean, he had like what you call like tendon strength, like like mountain climbers do. That you know, th- that's how he can balance themselves on, on like cutting them over fingers, or whatever, because their tendons they're deceptively strong, right? And and certain guys in the business had it. Like Gene Anderson had that. Uh, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew with Ole, right? Um, yeah. Regal, Regal, William Regal's got that that that, that tendon strength that he's deceptively really so strong, and you would see him at at times in matches just do things that you'd blow your mind just because you would never expect him being that strong. But guys that have that tendon strength, man, I mean, they they want to grab you, and you just want to cry. Uh, oh, <laughs> Junior, man, I. I've, I've seen him press Hulk Hogan in his prime, like when he was over 300 some plus pounds, right, over his head with one arm and drop him to a backbreaker. It just oh. drop. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, I had only seen my my exposure to the, the Gene Anderson early on was just the wrestling magazines, and it wasn't until I got WWE Network and they have the um, the Mid-Atlantic shows on there, which are just fantastic. And Gene Anderson, to me, he looks like an accountant. Right. (laughs) He doesn't look (laughs) like a wrestler at all. You know, he's got the comb over. He's kind of paunchy. But, man, he gets in the ring, and and you can tell he's really hurt. He really is hurting somebody. You you just just know. guys. Right. Just a reminder, guys, we're getting off the live feed, but uh, stick with us for the archives. The, the show will continue on. So if you want to listen more, just listen to the archives. Uh, go, go ahead, Steve. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. No, but, I mean, he's not necessarily an intimidating-looking man, but, man, right. he was tough. Yes. It's funny because I, I, uh, I interviewed oh, Arn Anderson once. I think right. for something for uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated. And um, mm-hmm. he he made a comment about how I was an Anderson from Minnesota. And oh, wow. I said, yeah, you know, I said, I get that every once in a while. What, what should I tell people if they ask me if we're related? And he said, just tell them you're a distant cousin. That way you don't bury yourself or put yourself over too much. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> that yeah. was that was a great answer. Oh yeah, I, you know I believe Stu Hart had that tendon strength too. Oh, from what uh, I, yeah, that was in Beyond the Mat too. They had an audio recording of Stu mm-hmm. Hart just stretching this new, this cocky new guy, and the guy was. <laughs> Just screaming bloody murder. Screaming. Oh, <laughs> and and I got, Stu I got uh, toyed with him. <laughs> Sean, Sean Waltman tested me a, a few times um, when mm-hmm. he wrestled around here in the early nineties. Um, I was uh, I don't know what I was if I was uh, helping with the ring or whatever, but I was in the locker room. Uh, just talking to somebody, and Waltman came up from behind, lifted up my shirt, and chopped, gave me a Ric Flair chop. And oh. I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and my knees were like 
buckling and stuff. So I was like, don't sell it. Don't sell it. <laughs> you know? And, <laughs> and then he kind of chucks me on the shoulder and walks away. So I get home that night and my wife sees me and I take off my shirt and it's this purple green welt <laughs> across my <laughs> Oh man, you know Uncle, uh, Uncle Terry told a story one time where he he came home right, and his, his chest looked like hamburger meat, right? And his wife looked down yeah. and said, "She said you've been in the ring with that damn Ric Flair, haven't you?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man. And that was a, the other time he was that. Uh, uh-huh. Waltman told me um, he, we were in a hallway at this TV studio, and he says, "Stand there, <laughs> stand right where you are." And he did oh, a boy. spin kick, and oh. the heel of his foot was literally a half inch from my chin. <laughs> mm. I could feel, I could feel that it was wind from it. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little. Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. God, you know, that, that guy's so flexible. Waltman, man, it's amazing. Waltman, yeah, Waltman, you know, mm-hmm. man, those early days, and you know, a lot of people don't know this about him, but he is he is an, an encyclopedia of wrestling knowledge. He he mm-hmm. knows everything. I mean, he broke in when he was 16. You know, I think that's wow. when uh, uh, Boris Malenko trained him. Then he came up to Minneapolis, and I think he was like, I when I met him, he was, I think 17 or 18 and just mm-hmm. the skinny kid and, and the fans would, in the early days, the fans would call him Pee Wee Herman. They thought he looked like Pee Wee Herman. Oh, wow. And yeah. And, but the minute he started, the match started, they shut up. They, because he just had something. Yeah. Nah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. He that, and Jerry that. Lynn had some some amazing matches. Oh. Just incredible stuff. Another another one. I mean, God, Jerry Lynn, wow. Yeah, I mean, two two Jerry, great, two great athletes, man. Yeah, J- Jerry. And, and at one point they they were a tag team and, and they were a heel tag team and it was mm-hmm. it was just phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. Oh wow, ah, amazing, amazing. Um, all right, um, Steve, uh, it's getting uh, it's about the the end of the show. It looks like. Um, All right, Malcolm. Uh, Malcolm, it's been a pleasure, brother. You take care of yourself, man. Uh, uh, I'll tell you what, guys. Not only am I going to wrestling event, I'm going to ring gimmick, but on Saturday I get I'm going to five different Raider Image. I'm going to the Solano Mall Fairfield with Cliff Branch. I'm going to Lincoln, meet Lincoln Kennedy at the Pleasant Hill Mall in Sun Valley. I'm going to Alameda, Raider Image, and meet Jay Schrader for the second time in my life. I'm going to Hayward, the Southland Mall, and meet Raymond Chester. 
And then, give me George Atkinson, the hit man of the NFL, the Bret Hart of the Oakland Raiders, number 43 um, on uh, in San Jose at the Raider Image there. And you know what, guys? Uh, these are the real Raiders. These guys, I mean, Stro, when Pittsburgh and Oakland need to play back in those games, these Raiders, all they wanted, Phil Villapiano told me this, and some other Raiders defensive players told me this, all they wanted was beer. They didn't give a damn back money. They wanted championships and beer. That's all they wanted. I heard that. You take care of yourself, man. Have a good one, oh, all right? Go Pittsburgh. Go Pittsburgh, bro. You got it, bro. Thank all right. You. Uh, Steve, what a show, man. It's been, it's been great. Yeah, that was fun. Um, that was fun. That was, that was really, really cool. Uh, th- thank yeah. you guys so much. It's, it's been pretty awesome. Is there anything you'd like to you know, plug? Tonight. Um, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. Well, that's cool. That's cool. But yeah, thank you guys so much for the interviews. It was really awesome. Uh, thank you, Brady. Please uh, come back soon. <laughs> Brady, be back yeah, thanks, soon. Brady. And uh, everybody, be good to yourselves, each other, and we'll see you guys uh, next Tuesday. And uh, have a wonderful night. Alexa, hang up. <laughs>